0: Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Saison y Corazón. I've got another wonderful sister with me here today. Um, In honor of Black History Month, we're going to continue the conversation. And who better than our speaker today? Dr. Ebony White, can you please introduce yourself?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, Typically, when I give my bio to people, one of the uh, last things that it says, and I'll start with it first, is that I am a daughter, a sister, a godmother and aunt. Uh, my relationships, uh, you know, a great friend, my relationships are the things that are most important to me and I think define most who I am. Um, I'm an extrovert, <laughs> so I enjoy being with people, around people, the energy of people. I recharge around people. right? I don't isolate or have to recharge internally. I like to be around people. But I teach. I'm a professor at Drexel University in Philadelphia. I also am a licensed professional counselor. And I have a clinical practice that's based in my hometown of Trenton, New Jersey, which is about 30 miles outside of Philadelphia. Um, And I do a lot of uh, cool things. And most of it is around advocacy and um, connecting to people who look like me from communities like the communities that I'm from. So I think that's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Um, Dr. Ebony White and I met at a conference not too long ago. And I asked one question and from that one question, we have connected in several ways. And I think it was the start of something beautiful, which is why she is having this conversation with us today. Um, how do you want me to refer to you? Can I can I still just call you Ebony? Okay. okay I, that. <laughs> I just feel like people work so hard to get their doctorate. So I'm like, I want to give you all the accolades that you deserve and that you've earned. Um, but since we're getting personal, I will refer to you as Ebony. But don't get it twisted, y'all. She is a doctor and she works hard for that shit. <laughs> <Here> he <is>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So let's get into it. Um, this is primarily a podcast about mental health. So I, I like to start every conversation with asking the person specifically about their journey. And so I'd like to invite you. tell us a little bit about your personal mental health journey
1: all right so my personal mental health journey because i have two right one as a consumer and one as a provider and so growing up in the community that i did in church new jersey really oppression was very resonant you could see it all around you could see the pain that people were in whether it was physical pain emotional mental pain relationship pain you could just see it and um Mm -hmm. You know, so I grew up uh, initially with an unpartnered mother. And so I know that story seems to be common, um, that people who have, you know, fathers who are physically present in their lives. um, And that took a toll on my mental health, because that's something that I greatly desired as a child, young girl,
0: Mm.
1: growing up. And so I had a lot of anger um, inside of me that was really masking a lot of hurt. And so my mom was one of those progressive mothers, and I was in elementary school when she put me in counseling.
0: Um, wow. Yep. She put me in it's counseling. That's sad in- for <laughs> your mama. <laughs> yep.
1: At elementary school, because she saw a letter that I had written um, mm-hmm. to my biological father that I didn't intend on sending, and when she read it, I think she was just really taken aback. Um, mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I'm going to take you to talk to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, um, about this, but I think because of that experience, I um never really had any qualms around mental health or that stigma that many people grow up with, it was still there in the community. Um, but mm-hmm. it was something that I was exposed to so early that I didn't um, shy away from
0: it. Yeah, that's really great. There's something so powerful in a parent recognizing this is outside of my wheelhouse. I'm going to take you to someone who can help you through this. Like mm-hmm. imagine how wonderful we would be if our parents would be so open to that, uh, which I know is not the case for, for every family. So good on your mom. I just want kudos to her. <laughs> Shout out to moms. <laughs> yeah. um, so since you were exposed to counseling so early Did you always know you wanted to pursue your doctorate in this field? Like, when was the moment you decided, like, this is what I need to do. I'm going to pursue this thing.
1: So I knew very young that I wanted to be a therapist, not necessarily Mm. a doctor. Um, My mom Mm. is a certified social worker. And so Mm. advocacy has always been something that um, has been very visible to me. So I grew up in the 80s, 80s, 90s, and, you know, hindsight is 2020 being that young you know growing up during that time you don't realize um, the impact or what's really going on around you but the 80s and 90s was that was the height of the AIDS epidemic and my mom was volunteering at an AIDS clinic
0: um mm.
1: she would stand on the corner on the weekends and give out clean syringes and not, she called it something but I can't remember the name of it but clean syringes maybe something kits and um condoms and she was, I don't want to say she was ostracized for it, but she was definitely judged because he also grew up in a church, right?
0: Mm.
1: Um, and so she had no business doing those um, kinds of things. But basically seeing the work that she did in the community, let me know I could make a difference. And so as early as high school, I was taking a psychology
0: courses. Mm. So I
1: didn't know necessarily that I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew that I wanted, I was going to be counseling in some form or fashion.
0: Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Um, you know, being able to see that happen and be like, "Oh, well, my mom's been doing this." Like, I know um, I'm supposed to be in this line of work. Is so powerful because that, like, for me, for example, this was not. Anything that I ever saw. Like, n- no one in the family is necessarily a, a doctor in this particular area, or, you know, we're out being advocates, right? Like, I just know I want to help people. I just don't know in what capacity, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's really great that you see mom doing it, right? And understand that it might come with some consequences, right? The church and some of the people might be like, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> and it's not always it's not always welcome but it's it's necessary work, I think. Yeah. Um somebody's got to take the baton. <laughs> no, I have to, right? Yes. I need to yes. I need to do like an asterisk side remark here and just shout out to Jersey. I lived in Jersey for, you know, a better part of my younger uh upbringing and I'm like, you know, there's probably a common denominator here that I and and getting along so well with people and I come to find out like we've lived in the same areas. We've seen similar struggles. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, I find my people naturally. <laughs>
1: there
0: you go. There you go. <laughs> yes. Um, I've seen some of your previous talks and you, you talk a lot about your experience in academia and as a black woman, like, can you tell me the impact of actually following through uh, going through that experience and how that's impacted you personally?
1: Oh, God, I'm going to try to be uh, short here, but that's a very long <laughs> answer, right? Because I have to start you know, with my whole post-secondary education. And I believe that outside of um, formative years in high school, all of my education, and at like some of high school, all of my education has been in predominantly white spaces, all of my, you know, post high school and some of my high school plus post high school has been in predominantly white spaces, which is a very different um, experience because as a black, Mm -hmm. as a young black girl going through school, those cultural values of like respect for elders um, runs really deep respect for authority figures. And so there are things that you don't, or I didn't realize I could say or ask for advocate for, or even challenge Um, And, you know, going through my collegiate experience because it was, I was always, you know, like do as I'm told, you respect authority figures, you kind of just swallow it and just keep it moving and and keep it pushing what you're supposed to do. But um, there's always been and continue to be these micro and macro aggressions that occur that are not based off of who I am, but based off of people's perceptions of who I am. And so that's the always a complicated thing that I have to manage someone else's imagination, right? Mm. So they're not dealing with me. They're dealing with like whatever they've developed about um, people who, who look like me. And so I have mm-hmm. to not only show up in ways that are meaningful and authentic for me, but as I'm showing up, I have to accommodate or recognize and respond to and attend to people's <laughs> perceptions as as well,
0: you are preaching to the choir. Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't I don't know what it's like to to be in that specific scenario in academia, but I have always had a certain level of frustration of having to educate others on what it means to be black and brown, right? Instead of like, yo, I'm just a person, right? Like yeah. I'm trying to make it. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and I've bounced between, hey, this person is really genuine. Let me let me have this conversation, and yo, it's not my job to teach you, right? Like, I'm gonna need you to do the work, and uh, you can yes. come back later if you want to have this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. But that's a really great way to put it. Is that they're they're battling with what they think our identities come with, and how right. we're supposed to act uh, when really we're just people who happen to have melanated skin, right? right. Like, that- um, and I'm just like. That's exhausting. It is like, exhausting. I gotta justify my people, and also gotta tell you who I am, and also be successful at the end of the day. Like, how? <laughs> right, and other uh, folks who work carrying all that stuff.
1: Right, people can. There are people in this world that get to go to work and just do their job. Which it is, is such a foreign concept to me.
0: <laughs> that is so foreign to me. I don't know yes. what it's like to show up and not be worried about what people are thinking or be conscious of the way that i do my hair or how i dress or whatever it is right like those are those are like ingrained checklists that mm-hmm. i go through all the time and it's still shocking to me when people are be like oh yeah like it never occurred to me that it's not okay to ask a certain question or speak to somebody in a certain way i'm mean, like uh, really what <laughs> you Um, It's the same thing when, like, people have encounters with authority figures in the community, right? I don't know if y'all can hear, but my daughter's definitely, like, got opinions about this in the background. But um, (laughs) when you encounter authority figures in the community, right, think about the things that have happened in the last couple of years, encounters Mm -hmm. with um, law enforcement, that encounter is very different for black and brown folks than it is for someone else who doesn't necessarily have a marginalized identity. Um, and I'm like, you did what you told the officer, huh? You reached where? (laughs) Um, you know, I laugh about it, but it's, it's just, it's mind blowing to know that like other people don't carry that stuff at all. And I wish Mm -hmm. I had like a fraction of that carefree, <laughs> you, uh, you I was know, telling us, this was a
1: months ago, I was saying that um, I could be driving down the highway or a residential area and a cop car could be beside me behind me. And I'm doing the speed, like everything is right. And I have a physiological reaction to just seeing uh, the police car. And I'm like, okay, where's my license? Where's my insurance? We're like, just like cataloging everything just in case and then once I'm away from the p- police officer, you can, I can literally feel my body deflate, like this relief occur, and it's just I mean yeah. that's trauma. Yeah,
0: right? it really I'm is. So traumatized mm-hmm. um,
1: by this organization, and there are people who see police and they like you know, <laughs> interact with them like it's nothing.
0: Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, like I have law enforcement in my family. Like I've been a military police officer. I've worn uniform but it's something very different when you're out like I feel the same effects you're talking about like my hands get tighter around the steering wheel I make sure my kids are like properly strapped in nobody jumping around crazy right like you know I slow down I get into a different lane right these are all just like innate reactions to this thing that has just been so traumatizing that at this point it's just like a we're gonna keep ourselves safe so we gotta we gotta react a certain way um which is just insane. It shouldn't be that way, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, I, along those same lines, there there are people doing some really important work in the Black and Brown communities, especially, you know, as practitioners and clinicians and doctors. But who is supporting them? Like, how do we even begin to start supporting the ebony whites of the world to be able to continue to do this work?
1: So I have several answers for that. So the first thing is, you know, to the practitioners, it's so important to have your people. So I have a group Mm -hmm. of friends who we are all counselors. We're all counselor educators. We're all in private practice. We're all black, different variations of black, but we're all black. And we come together. We do Zoom calls. We hang out. You know, we are able to have conversations that blend the conversation on all of our identities, right? We can talk Black-ish, mm-hmm. we can talk counselor-ish, we can talk academic-ish, right? We can go seamlessly <laughs> in and out of conversation. And there's no expectation to be those folks therapist or you know anything. I could just be their friend and have normal conversation. Um,
0: yeah.
1: For those who have counselors in their lives as friends or family members, stop relying on them to be your therapist too,
0: Ooh. right? Say it again. <laughs> Relying on them to be
1: your therapist too, right? I have a friend whose sister um, was telling me she was excited that she was no longer friends with someone else, and I said, "Why?" She was like, "Because that wasn't her friend; that was her client." And I'm like, "You know, that's <laughs> that's it, You that's know, problematic. Really, that is problematic, <laughs> right?" And I think that when people realize you have a certain level of knowledge or education and counseling, and listen, it happens to me all the time. I was in New Orleans, I got in a taxi and it's like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a therapist. Oh, you know, my son, you know, people, like once they find out to the point now, I just, I, create, I lie about my profession if I don't feel like <laughs> going into detail because everyone's like, oh, do you have any resources? Can you help? Right. And the same oh, thing happens. Yeah. I'm the family. My people call like, you need to talk to your cousin. You need to talk to your nephew, you know, <laughs> because all of these things are going on. Oh, it's like, this I just finished eight hours of uh, working with people, and now you calling me with your problems? Don't
0: do that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, wait. We got to unpack all of that. Okay. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much. I mean, the same thing has happened, you know, in my earlier days of HR is that, like, people calling me, up? Oh, can you review my resume? Can you review this? Can you? Oh, I need to. I'm like, I do this on a day job. Like, you're not paying <laughs> me. No. no. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Like occasionally, I feel you know generous. I mean, like, oh, you should probably do this. People coming back and forth. I'm like, look, I don't do this on my free time. I'm trying to. I'm trying to chill. Right. Um, But there's something you said about the family calling to be like, you got to talk to so and so. I feel like that is true, even if you're not in this particular field. Right. Like there are just some of us in the families, typically the female you know, strong, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, a uh, person in that family that's always being called because they're the ones that can have the conversation with that person. And they're the ones that, you know, know how to handle something in an emergency situation. And I'm just like, who's taking care of those people? Like, where, where do you draw the boundaries of not calling that person for everything, right? Like, I'm speaking from personal experience here. I've had to tell certain people where I'm just like, I can't do this for you no more. Mm-hmm. You can't you can call me. I am not available for this particular thing. Unless someone is in an emergency uh, situation, they're in the hospital, and there's like absolute obligation we got to show up, don't call me. Because <laughs> it gets exhausting. exhausting. And it takes a toll. They're almost like that vessel that takes all of it uh, without even having the training to be able to do that and understand the, you know how to separate uh, things. So just... I just thought that was a really important point, right? Like we all have that person. Maybe next time let's think twice before we call that person again.
1: Absolutely. And I understand, like, especially I know in in other cultures as well, but like in the African-American tradition, we're very relational. We rely on each other, right? If This person is a mechanic. This person is this. The person is that. But there's reciprocity there, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I lean on you for this and you can lean on me for that, that's one thing. But if every time you call me, it's yep. always an issue and there's no reciprocity. There ain't nothing. I can't call on you for nothing. Like, no.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's it. <laughs> that's go to this website. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a really important point. That's that's a distinct factor in what is depleting of those relationships. If you're always giving, 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 and that person's not there mm-hmm. for you when you need them. Right. So Watch out, (laughs) y'all. You can break generational cycles, but we can also take care of each other, right? Like, you know, let's do it better. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about a little bit moving on in terms of our communities is how do we begin to understand what happens to someone's mental health when they are continuously experiencing things like collective trauma and, you know, are active in the community and trying to do something about it, but there's just like all this negative stuff coming from every direction, right? Like we all know that person trying to fix things and we just taking a hit, you know, one thing after the other. How do we, how do we even begin to understand what goes on in the black community when, when we're experiencing this?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's a big question. So how do we understand, um, You know, when I'm doing trainings, one of the things I talk about is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and how Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the caveat of post, like a a past event happening, um, most people who are people of color, particularly living in under-resourced communities, will fit the criteria for that diagnosis, right? Mm. Particularly when you think about how Black and brown folks score extremely high, like their baseline out of 10 is like an 8 for hypervigilance. Right, which is not normal. So, what does that mean? That means that we're on guard, on edge, all the time, checking for safety, checking for danger. Right, mm. and those things take a toll. Right, we think about, you know, how uh, folks of color are have higher um, incidences of high blood pressure and cholesterol, and we like to blame it on the food that we eat. But it's like if I'm constantly on edge and my system is spiking, my blood pressure is gonna go up. I'm gonna be at risk for a heart attack or a stroke because yeah. Of Level just trying to navigate this community, you know, uh, this world or this society or even my own community, because we have Mm -hmm. to think about how there are threats even within our community and there are threats to our community, right? Yeah. And so, it may be a little bit easier to navigate the threats within my community because I'm familiar with the community. So I know where to be, where not to be, that kind of thing. But I also have to manage the television. I also have to manage uh, the the teachers who are teaching my child who did something racist. And so how do I deal with that and still try to keep my child's identity intact, right? I also mm-hmm. have to deal with the police. I have to deal with the, the, the store clerk. Like All of these things are happening and it compounds and it compounds and it compounds. And um, James Baldwin said that to to be aware is to be angry all the time. And so there's a certain amount of dissonance that we have to hold on to just Mm -hmm. to be able to survive in society. Right. I can't be thinking about this all the time or I will go crazy. So some of it I have to suppress because if I don't suppress it, I can't do my job. I can't take care of my kids. I can't, you know, go where I need to go and do the things that I need to do. And so. Having conversations, open conversations around that is how we can help people understand, but I think that we have to use language and liking it to things that people already are aware of, right? And yeah. so it's like, you, you might get a paper cut and you might realize it at first, but maybe you feel like it goes away until you put some hand sanitizer on and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I got, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's still a cut there. Like, yeah. And so yeah. That's, that, that's, what's, that's what's happening. Like we have these cousins and we think that they go away, but they continue to be compounded and we don't know mm. that it's still there until something happens again to re-trigger it or to remind us that it's there. But that forgetting yeah. is necessary for our functioning.
0: Oof. So how do we even how do we even address that? Like what are some of the signs? Like if I'm looking for things in myself or for someone I care about, how do we recognize the impact of of some of that of things just compounding over and over again? Like what do, what are we even supposed to look for? You know, aside from putting hand sanitizer on that cut.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. To me, the um biggest sign is irritability.
0: Mm. Right?
1: Um if I'm so ever, guilty.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> like just irritable. And this and you're like or you think later on in the day, like that was probably too much of a reaction <laughs> to right? I probably didn't. Need to explode that much. Right. So irritability <laughs> is a very common symptom that too much suppressing is going on. Everything is annoying you. The sound, the light, like everything is frustrating you, or even really um strong responses to what seems like really small stimuli.
0: Mm, right? I feel like you're reading my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I definitely have those times where my husband's like what is wrong with you I'm just like I'm just irritated like y'all talking too loud the TV too loud the fan is going <laughs> yeah stop breathing. <laughs> I have I have okay so low key and just side note joke I have low key looked at my husband when he's snoring at night and be like I just want to I just want to wake him up like he should not be <laughs> snoring at night <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: Oh my goodness! And that is when I know I'm like, all right, I need a reset. <laughs> yeah, one of my
1: you reminded me one of my favorite scenes in this movie called Bride Wars is when this mm-hmm. girl she's like she just she's on the phone with one of her friends. Her husband is in bed asleep. so she gets off the phone and she looks at her husband and she just goes, "You're annoying me."
0: <laughs> yes, one thousand percent. You're annoying me. <laughs> yeah like cardi's B lyric cardi b lyrics um I forgot the name of the song where she' gonna put Clorox in his cereal and he'd be <laughs> like what <The> big <laughs> I hate that now. I hate that I relate to it so much but it's true <laughs> oh my goodness all right so we know the signs we we know what to look for how do we reframe and find joy even when we're suppressing all of this and and trying to like be aware, be angry, but also like, yo, I need happiness in my life. Like, how do we start leaning towards joy?
1: Uh, we create it. We have to be intentional about it. And so historically, mm-hmm. particularly if we live in any type of Western context, US, UK, you know, wherever that is, as people of color, we were never meant to experience joy. And so, yeah. you know,
0: things, the Whoa, system pause. is designed. Okay. You got to say it again. <laughs> You gotta say it again.
1: (laughs) We were we were never meant, and I don't mean like from inception from humanity, like God given or you know, whatever you believe in, but in US context, you know, oppressors and oppressed and oppressed, we were never meant to experience joy. We were only Mm. meant to experience pain. And honestly, we were bred to experience pain, right? It's about how much Mm. you can take, right? Your value is at how much you can take, how much you can do, and that process was painful, it wasn't happy, it wasn't joyful. And so Mm -hmm. we sometimes become so accustomed to a certain type of pain or pressure that we feel Mm -hmm. guilty if we're not feeling it, because that's become our baseline, right? If it's not hurting me, it's not good for me. I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it. Oh, man. And so we have to be intentional about creating joy in our life and, and knowing that not only do we deserve it, we're owed it,
0: right? Yeah,
1: and we are entitled to it, and we you know there's some things that we need to that, that we need to get that was taken from us as well.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, we were not meant to feel joy to have joy. I feel like I just gotta re-emphasize it because when you try to choose joy, like other people start just hating on you. Like, why are you laughing so loud? Why are you talking so loud? Why why are you so happy? Right? Like, what why can I not have this? Stop acting like I don't deserve this. Right. Mm-hmm. And some and sometimes it comes from like within your own community. Like, why Absolutely. are you resting? <laughs> um, I say that to say that like finding joy doesn't come without resistance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's huge conversation, at least here recently with rest being a resistance and leaning into joy, right? I think it's um, Trisha Hersey, I want to say, that wrote Rest is, Re- rest is Resistance, mm-hmm. this uh, nap ministry. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think there's a huge desire to lean into that, but it's so hard because then we're seen as not being productive and mm-hmm. why are you being lazy and all this other stuff. And I have these conversations and, like, I always have to like give them a little history lesson. Be like, why is it always related to slavery? Because th- that is literally in the fabric. We are still feeling the impacts of our history, and finding joy is one of those. Um, so Especially I'm just, I'm just really don't glad want you to
1: said acknowledge that. it, right? Yes. And we're, you know, the, the longer we go without even like our country still does not want to acknowledge that slavery happened and continues to happen and has an impact.
0: Mm-hmm. We have pictures, yeah.
1: documentations, constitute. We have everything to prove it, but we want to act like it never
0: happened. Yeah, yeah, and and that it still has an impact, and that people right. are still trying to heal. Um, I've also started reading uh, "The Pain We Carry" uh, by Natalia Gutierrez. I actually got it right here. Um, it's Natalie, excuse me. I am only in the first chapter of this book, and I'm like, oh shit. I got to process this because she literally puts into words that some of the frustrations that we feel and like, even if we're going to therapy, we're doing the things and we still feel something that's usually our ancestor calling saying like, Hey, you're feeling the pain of generations before you. Mm. Right. But I didn't have the words to say that I just knew I had anger and irritability and just like this, Resentment towards something. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, but then when she put it into words, I was like, "Oh, right!" Like revolutionary in terms of understanding. Like I can still feel the pain of my ancestors, but I can also choose the joy that they would have wanted me to have. Mm -hmm. Right? It
1: survives that experience.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Like I always joke that, like you know, my my parents' generation is is. They focused on surviving, right? But I don't want to just survive now. I want to mm-hmm. be able to thrive so that my kids continue to thrive and do the same thing, right? We're, we're breaking those cycles here. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of cycles and ancestors, how are you celebrating Black History Month this year? I know it's every day and all day, but... That's and what I'm about
1: to say. You know, I ain't doing nothing I don't do all the time, okay? All Black everything all the time. All Black everything all the time. Like, live, like even um, people ask me, because during the pandemic, and I had to teach my classes on Zoom, I started every class. It was a song by a Black artist. Like, I, I showed, during Black History Month, I showed that um, <laughs> Google commercial with the uh, the group, the Black girl singing. And a different, yes. Singing different groups. Live, I'm like, we all going to get this to today i try to you know so i'm not doing anything um different sometimes i will post like favorite quotes or pictures like that of um people that i admire Mm -hmm. on instagram and facebook and things of that nature but black history and black (laughs) presentory every day every moment um
0: yeah, every moment for me, right? It's taking it
1: out of the twenty-eight days, and I think that I like that. Like his three month is in February. Would love for it to be in January, but you know, MLK Day, um, yeah, is there. I feel like we need a Malcolm X Day and an Audrey Lord Day. Um, hey, say and it again, a, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer Day. But anyway,
0: sign the uh, petition. I will I'll, support it.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely, all <laughs> those days. But because it's in the beginning of the year, I think that jumpstarts things for people. It mm-hmm. helps. For us to for it to be in our mind and kind of shape our year, um, yeah. But anything specific? No, I might travel somewhere. So
0: you know, I, we'll see. look, I'm gonna just follow you around the world on your Instagram story. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna go topic everywhere topic. with you. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, anything specific that our listeners should be doing this Black History Month, like educating themselves or watching things or? Some of the stuff that you may recommend, top of mind?
1: Absolutely. So I, you know, anytime is a good time to educate yourself. I do think, you know, we can I think people make things fun. Um, so in February 28, like do some 28 acts for black history. You can do something like that, whether it's, you know, what are the 28 things you're gonna do for the month? Mm-hmm. Maybe read two books, donate to a shelter, support black owned business, highlight someone or someone's black on your social media, you know, mm-hmm.
0: there are different
1: things that you can do. I just, you know, I try to patron Black businesses all the time. If, I, if a Black business does it, I'm, you know, patronizing um, <laughs> them often. So look and see what local restaurants, shops, stores, online that you could support. Um, put your money where your mouth is. And, yeah. you know, this may
0: sound
1: cheeky, right? but. <laughs> Be kind to black people,
0: right? What? Well, what a to, what a concept! To, what a concept! <laughs> yes, be gentle. Be gentle. Be like nice. The door. I
1: say thank you. Say hello. Yes,
0: <laughs> right. Oh my gosh! Smile yeah. at me when you walk in, in the by by me on the sidewalk and not suspect exactly. that I'm being of harm to you. Right. Oh
1: my goodness!
0: I love that. That is a perfect way to wrap this up just be kind to black mm-hmm. and brown people and watch a *Woman that movie is amazing oh my god yes it was i'm not gonna lie it was a little hard for me to watch just because like i could feel the pain through the screen but it was an absolutely important movie and i'm so glad that viola davis just like killed that role it was perfect
1: they all did
0: yes, it. I was watching it on the plane back like for the fourth time, still yes. crying in my seat. Like, it was just so. so I went good. to watch it, we went to watch it on date night, my husband and I. And I like, I just like kept reaching over him and like holding his arm and just like squeezing. I was like, oh my god, like, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend. Highly, Highly recommend. recommend. And by the time this comes out, Black Panther is going to be out on Disney Plus um, as of February 1st, apparently. So watch that too. <laughs> awesome. <sighs> um, before we get uh, wrapped up here, where can listeners follow you and your work and keep up with you?
1: Yeah. So my Instagram is at IamEbTheCeleb. Um and I think my Facebook is Ebony White or Dr. Ebony White, LPC, something like that. But you'll be able to find me. It's the same picture. So you'll be able to find me. I do have a website, uh, Dr. EbonyWhite.com. That's dr Um And I also have a podcast if people are interested. It's the Ebony The Select podcast, available on all, where all podcasts are streamed. So.
0: Yes. Awesome. Thank we you talk you about so stuff over there, so hey, look, don't get me started on no ratchetness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know,
1: I follow Chris Emden, and I'm like, yeah, I, I fancy myself a ratchetemic. So if you listen, just be
0: uh, prepared, <laughs> I love it. I love this. Yes. Not, not me going to go download all the episodes. <laughs> <Ooh. Yeah. laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for just being you, your spirit, your energy, showing up. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and just uplifting our community just all day, every day um, and bringing people along with you. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much.
1: And I appreciate you.
0: Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that has been another episode of Sazón y Corazón, Black History Month edition. But don't forget, Black History is all day, every day, all year round. All right? Um. That's it, y'all. We'll see y'all on the next one.